Last night's Quebec election did not just change the government. It completely shuffled the cards in Quebec politics. The Liberals found themselves supplanted by another Federalist party, and the Parti Québécois were supplanted by a new Nationalist party. Here to explain all of this to us, and what the implications are for the rest of Canada, is Chantelle Hébert. Everybody in Canada who cares about politics knows who she is. She's a columnist for the Toronto Star and Le Devoir, and she occupies the Centre Square on CBC Ad Issue Panel. Chantelle is one of the most trusted voices in Canada, and I'm thrilled that she's joining us today on the Hurley Burley. I am so thrilled to be joined uh, this morning by Chantelle Hébert. Chantelle, thank you for joining us the morning after the Quebec election. My pleasure. So, what happened last night? We have a big CAC majority, um, much bigger than what was uh, anticipated, uh, even up in the days uh, leading up to the election, and uh, bigger defeats for the uh, for the Liberals and the PQ than were expected. What happened last night? So to, to take them in order, uh, I think the first answer is the Liberals stayed home, or lots of Liberals stayed home. Uh, and by staying home, uh, helped uh, Mr. Legault win ridings that he might not otherwise uh, have won or not have won as easily. From day one in this election, the only possibility for the Liberals to do well or better than they did last night was for the PQ to run a strong campaign. The Parti Québécois did the opposite of running a strong campaign. And as the PQ became weaker, the chances of the Liberals, even if they had had their vote come out, uh, to, to keep more seats diminished with every point the PQ lost. Now, if you look at the Quebec map today, it's light blue, which is the color of, of the Coalition Avenir Québec, except for a, a few areas, including the island of Montreal, where the Liberals have kept a, a foothold. If you try to break down what happened last night uh, into uh, Montreal versus the rest of the province, I think that would be the wrong analysis. Uh, what really happened last night was Francophone voters gave a Federalist Party a mandate across uh, the province. And if there is a line between the, the, the winner and those that came behind uh, the CEQ, starting with the Liberals, it is along language lines. The, the Anglophone and the Allophone voters remain faithful to um, the Liberal Party, and that is how they kept uh, second place in the seats that they have. And Francophone voters, including many who had voted for the Liberals in the past, uh, switched to the CAQ. The same with a significant section of people who used to support the Parti Québécois. And there you have it. This is, for people outside Quebec, that might not be uh, the first thing that jumps to mind, but this is the first elected majority federalist government in Quebec to owe its victory essentially to francophone voters since the Parti Québécois was founded in the 1970s. So in clear for anyone who is a sovereigntist, that result is probably as depressing as the fate that was endured by the Parti Québécois last night. So... If the Parti Québécois are dead and they got their lowest percentage of the popular vote since their first election uh, and they finished fourth in the seat count, if the PQ are dead, does that mean separatism is dead? It's completely uh, a different debate, the idea of sovereignty. Um, 
is at this point not on the radar of most Quebec voters. But I don't think that uh, anyone wants to say that it is gone forever. What did happen, though, last night is that uh, the leadership of the sovereignty movement, the people who are at the forefront, are no longer the baby boomers. They are the younger voters, the millennials, who gave Quebec solidaire the third place, uh, a very left-of-center party. If you ask those voters this morning, did they vote? for sovereignty, they would answer quite rightly that no, they voted for the Quebec Solidaire uh, Party and gave it that breakthrough on the basis of number one issue, uh, the environment and the fact that it had uh, a platform on the environment that it put forward for the entirety of the campaign. What happens now to sovereignty is that it is a, 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 a notion that does not have a political vehicle. The Parti Québécois is no longer that vehicle. It had stopped being at that uh, prior to this election when the Parti Québécois veered into the secularism charter, uh, identity politics that would have religious minority members uh, not wear religious vestments. What it did by doing that is build a wall between itself and younger voters. And the millennials are the cohort of voters that is taking up more and more space in the electorate. That issue, the, the, the charter issue, is acted as, as, as a, a way to empty out or to pre- deprive the, the PQ of its own future. So after the election, whoever is still a member of the PQ, and they have a lot of members, those members' values and their priorities are so divorced from the priorities of the younger voters who gave the other sovereignist party uh, 10 seats yesterday that there is very little common ground between the two party bases. But if you look at Quebec Solidaire, it's more a movement than a party. It certainly doesn't have a platform that would uh, qualify us for government. Uh, it, it, its platform is unsustainable. Uh, it's very, very far left. And most of the voters who did support Quebec Solidaire uh, would probably pause long and hard before giving that party its vote if the party looked like it was in contention for government. So here's the sovereignist dilemma. They have two sovereignist parties. Who have, whose bases have very little in common, don't really want to be in the same room together, but neither of whom is in a position or will be anytime soon to take power and be in a place where it could follow up on its referendum dream. So uh, a lot of uh, introspection in store for whoever is a sovereignist, and I would argue also for whoever is a progressive voter, because the two more progressive voters on the ballot uh, yesterday were the two sovereignist parties. They are down each to 10 and 9 members. In theory, that would give them no official status in the National Assembly. Uh, and that tilts the National Assembly towards a center-right uh, dominance that is quite uncommon in Quebec politics. And what was the election about? Change. Why? Was it an was it economic dissatisfaction or something else? 
The Parti Québécois, as you know, had set aside the sovereignty issue for this election and it, it was running on a promise to not, if it were elected to office, to not organize, uh, work towards, do, uh, hold a referendum on sovereignty within its first mandate. They, when they took that off the table, they also took away with it a lot of the glue that the liberals have in this province for decades used to uh, galvanize support uh, against the notion of a referendum, the notion of sovereignty. Every liberal campaign until this one would end on a full week of the liberal leader cautioning voters into making sure that the PQ did not win because it would hold another referendum. Uh, and it worked. Since the last referendum, the uh, Parti Québécois has only won one majority government in 1998 with Lucien Bouchard, and it even lost a popular vote on, on that occasion. But this year, with no sovereignty, the, um, the liberals came across as, as, instead of filling the vacuum with, with something that would look more like a, a projet de société than uh, trying to uh, run a corporation, which is basically how Premier Criar uh, is perceived to have run the province for the past four years. The liberals instead looked like an empty shell. Uh, and that's not totally surprising. They've been in power for most of the last 15 years in Quebec, with the exception of the short uh, Parti Québécois interval for 18 months. Uh, they have not uh, intellectually given much thought to policy. The party lost its its progressive identity over all those decades in power. It borrowed the leader from the federal Tories in the shape of Jean Charest for a long time. Then when Premier Couillard came along, his top recruits, the stars in his cabinet, were people that he recruited from the Coalition Avenir Québec. Uh, and so the, that, the, the liberals in Quebec really need to come back to who they were, uh, what kind of party they were. I suspect that in four years, the Liberal Party that is going to be running against uh, François Legault is going to be a Liberal Party that looks or feels a lot more like Justin Trudeau's party uh, than it has felt over the past four years. So Couliard ran on his record of balancing the budget. Why didn't that work for him? <laughs> well, for the same reason that promising to run deficits worked for Justin Trudeau. Right. It, 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 do you have you encountered very many uh, governments that uh, have been given a lot of credit just for balancing the books? Just one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lucien Bouchard balanced the books, but when Lucien Bouchard uh, did the, a lot of the heavy lifting, and he, he did that after the referendum and before he ran for re-election in 1998. He balanced the book and created two new social programs, one being the early childhood education program, uh, which has given Quebec a quite unique childcare model, and the other, Pharmacare. So when, when he went on an election... He didn't spend the election pointing the finger at having balanced the books. He spent the election saying, I balanced the book and this is what came out of it. Right. This was the reason to do it. Yes. Uh, Philippe Couillard, for all of his intellectual skills, 
never managed over the course of this campaign to tell Quebecers why he wanted a second mandate, what he wanted to do with the hard horn room to maneuver that he had created. He also spent much of the campaign forgetting to acknowledge that is is getting to balance books had heard of some people uh, and that he uh, he he should acknowledge that somewhere along the line that they were the ones that paid to for the government to get to this uh, fiscal uh, position that was inviable. If you look at yeah, he's being uh, triumphal about his accomplishment, and people out there are going, "Well, hey, that hurt me." Not only uh, that hurt me, but in the case of young families who were promised by the Liberals in the last election that uh, he would not touch the child care services and then d- d- discovered that uh, he was doing away with the uh, universal $7 or $8 a day rate and sending uh, families a bill at the end of the year based on how well they'd done uh, financially, those young families felt betrayed from the moment that happened. And a lot of those young families yesterday voted for the Coalition Avenir Québec. So the last polls I saw before the election showed the Couillard Liberals getting less than one in five Francophone voters. And the polls tended to overestimate Liberal support, so maybe they did worse than that. What has happened to the Liberal Party and the Francophone vote in Quebec? Uh, They were overtaken by François Legault. It's... um that, that there are very few fundamental ideological differences between Philippe Couillard's liberals and François Legault's CAQ. For a lot of people, voting for uh, François Legault and the CAQ wasn't uh, a leap of faith or, or, or a shot in the dark. This is someone, François Legault is the longest serving member uh, who is returning to the National Assembly. He was a Minister of Education, a Minister of Health, a Treasury Board uh, President under Lucien Bouchard. He was the leader that the uh, Quebecers were the most familiar with uh, in the set of leaders uh, running this year. He's been around. Uh, it was his third campaign as leader. So, and, uh, you know, if you see the headlines today, the Journal de Montréal, which is probably the tabloid with the larger readership, the front page says, liberated from the liberals. Interesting. And that kind of sums up uh, how people felt. You have to uh, give François Legault a lot of credit for having spent the past year recruiting candidates, many of them good uh, candidates with with good credentials to run for his party. He had the stronger team. So before before the Liberals and the Parti Québécois entered into their 50-year-long cage match in Quebec politics, there was a dominant party in Quebec called the Union Nationale. Yes. And the Union Nationale was a suburban and rural-based economically conservative, nationalist but not separatist movement. That strain has always existed in Quebec politics. Yes. Is that what this is, or is this no. something new? This is not what this is. Uh, this is, if I were trying to find comparisons, I wouldn't even compare the CAQ team that uh, was elected uh, yesterday to Brian Mulroney's uh, 
government. It's it's a completely different mix. Uh, the 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 age uh, variation is different. They have um, more young people. They elected uh, a high number of of women. It's not going to be easy to put a label on, on the government that François Legault uh, is bringing in. For instance, he is going to be taking a page out of Justin Trudeau's book, and uh, he, he's going to be appointing a, a gender equal cabinet, uh, not something that sounds very conservative. On the, he has promised to restore universal uh, $8 a day uh, childcare, and he wants to open this biggest project. One he said he would resign over if he didn't fulfill it is to um, create a junior kindergarten across the province for four-year-old kids. That's not a terribly uh, a conservative promise. He is nowhere on social conservatism, There's, and he is not going to be joining the conservative coalition uh, that is fighting carbon pricing and Justin Trudeau's uh, climate change framework. Uh, on that, there were no differences between any of the Quebec parties. They're all committed to carbon pricing and continuing to uh, to to move in that direction. If anything, I expect François Legault's party to become more interested and and to have a real environment platform by the end of the next election. Now, reverse. Look at the flip side of François Legault's government. Soon, Ontario is going to look like the liberal land of cannabis compared to Quebec. François Legault wants to raise the age to buy cannabis to 21, which would make it uh, the highest threshold uh, across Canada. He also plans to ban uh, cannabis from any public space across the province. So try to pigeonhole all these uh, plans and, and no, the Union Nationale uh, is dead and buried, and the Quebec that used to elect it is also long gone. Well, that's too bad about the marijuana thing, because Quebec doesn't need any more people moving to Ontario. <laughs> I think uh, possibly the child care uh, stuff will keep uh, young uh, workers uh, who have children on the side of the um, Quebec-Ontario border. <laughs> that's, that is, you know... Forget cannabis. Our, our main attraction to young families uh, clearly is the childcare stuff. So, for those people, what you're telling us is for those people that are going to try to jam Francois Legault into the Donald Trump, uh, Doug yeah. Ford populist insurgency phenomenon, that it doesn't fit. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's for one. I, I don't see Donald Trump and. and Ontario Premier Ford uh, as, as the two two of the same uh, two piece in the pot. Right. So that comparison has limits. But also, there is no um, Trumpist appetite here. It was really interesting that François Legault only really ran in trouble over the campaign over his promise to. Uh, ask uh, immigrants to Quebec to pass a, a, a French language fluency test after three years and uh, subject to uh, deportation or expulsion from the province if they failed that test. Uh, and that is where he ran into trouble. I will make a prediction at some point when François Legault sits down to implement his immigration policy, he's going to find that Justin Trudeau and possibly any other federal leader will not 
play in the movie of moving immigrants out of Quebec to their home country or to to some other Canadian destination, and he's going to be quite happy to blame the federal government for allowing him to drop a very faulty, poor idea that a lot of Quebecers frowned on uh, and that uh, was probably ill-taught out from the start. Where I do see a conflict coming, uh, and there will be one that I think will be fairly fundamental between this incoming government and Justin Trudeau's government, is uh, in François Legault's promise to uh, do away with the liberal bill law, actually, that bans uh, people from receiving public services unless they have their face uncovered, which right. we call here the veil ban. Yeah. François Legault plans to trash, uh, do away with that law forget uh, about the litigation that's ongoing, and he plans to bring in uh, a larger ban on religious vestments that would apply to people in so-called positions of authority, and that, uh, in his book, is police people, judges, uh, justices of the peace, and teachers. And at that point, someone is going to go to court. And he has said... Will most people think that's a reasonable thing, Chantel? That's called... There is a a notion that that is the compromise that was suggested by a commission that uh, explored the issue of religious accommodation in the public public secular space in Quebec, and that uh, people... For people in positions of authority, uh, it made sense that they would be secular in their appearance as they carry on their duties. No one knows what the courts will say about that. And Mr. Legault has said, at least uh, on one debate, that he would be ready to use the notwithstanding clause, you know, the one that's become so famous in Ontario now, to... um, to override the charter if he needs to, to implement that change. So I would I would think that's a conflict area that will first of all play out in the courts. But the interesting thing is we had an entire election campaign over issues like that four years ago, and in this campaign, it did not really come up as much of an issue. Uh, and it could be that this is one more thing that over the next four years, uh, François Legault will end up deciding that the courts can. Uh, have their way with the plan, and we'll see what happens. Nothing immediate. Uh, I, this, he, he is not going to be Justin Trudeau's biggest problem between now and the next election. Well, we are, in the rest of Canada, uh, have gone through a period of unbelievable peace on the Quebec federal-provincial front. Um, yes. Both Jean Charest and Philip Couillard are the two most unabashedly federalist Quebec premiers of my lifetime, I think. Um, and so that whole front has been very quiet. The question, what does Quebec want, has kind of disappeared from the Canadian political dialogue. Um, does this election, is this going to change under Legault? Is Quebec going to become more assertive on federal provincial issues again? Like. I would be very surprised. I, I I don't think that is the priority, and I don't think that uh, the mandate Mr. Legault received was a mandate that was received to uh, 
stand up to Ottawa, quote unquote. Uh, I've just spent six weeks covering a provincial campaign where the name of the current prime minister was barely mentioned by anyone. Uh, for uh, and that is outstandingly different from any other campaign. No one here campaigned, uh, especially not the Liberals, obviously, but the CAQ did not spend the campaign uh, campaigning on the backs of the federal government uh, and saying you need a stronger government to stand up to Justin Trudeau. And one of the reasons why that didn't happen is poll after poll over the campaign have shown that as 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 well as Mr. Legault did last night, uh, Justin Trudeau today is the most popular politician in Quebec. Okay, well, let's switch to federal politics, if we could, for a few minutes, Chantel. Does this Quebec election have any implications for the next federal election, or is there anything that you saw last night that makes you think differently about what's going to happen federally? I think Mr. Trudeau is very fortunate that Thomas Mulcair is no longer the leader of the NDP, because a more efficient um NDP in Quebec in the next election could probably ride some of the success of Quebec Solidaire and take away uh, a lot of the millennial vote that went to the Liberals in Quebec in the last federal election. But absent uh, an NDP that uh, inspires, the Liberals can probably go and claim uh, most or a lot of the votes that, that uh, Quebec Solidaire received. I think there was validation in, in, in that mobilization of millennial voters behind the, that party, uh, that is uh, the Quebec party that is, is the biggest on playing the diversity card, uh, validation for the sense that uh, if Justin Trudeau does well with millennials, not only uh, in Quebec, but across Canada, it's possibly because his view of society and the place of diversity in it fits with the millennials' perception uh, of what makes uh, Canadian society. So I think on on those scores, uh, Trudeau would find encouragement. I also think that if the Conservatives, as they seem to want to, are planning to turn the next federal election into a plebiscite on carbon pricing versus pipelines, then they are going to be giving uh, the election to uh, Justin Trudeau absent a strong NDP because uh, in this province, uh, the the environmental issue uh, uh, is one that will play in favor of Justin Trudeau, notwithstanding the pipeline uh, issue in B.C. I presume that we are going to see the complete annihilation of the NDP in Quebec. First of all, do you think that's right? That, uh, I mean, uh, you never know. There's a year to go, and as you've seen in Ontario, it's always possible to trade in a leader late in the game uh, and still do fairly well. Uh, But under uh, the current configuration of the party with the leader that they have, I would expect the NDP to lose uh, even more ground in Quebec. If they do keep seats, it will be because of incumbents that are popular. Uh, 
uh, and and that would be what three or four people. Yeah, I just found out in Ontario what the limits of that are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, Mr. Couillard could confirm, and Mr. Lizzie this morning that incumbency is wildly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> so, does that mean that Justin Trudeau can sweep Quebec in the next federal campaign the way that Pierre Trudeau used to? We talked about incumbency, uh, and the Andrew Shears MPs are popular in their own right for the most part, and in theory, they should be able to, uh, on their own, without... They weren't elected because of Stephen Harper. They were elected despite Stephen Harper in 2015. So in theory, with a, a leader that is... Uh, that inspires more indifference than than, than uh, antagonism in Quebec. Uh, his current MPs, for the most part, can get reelected, I think. But beyond that, it's going to be difficult for the Conservatives, uh, with with no party around, to split the vote, uh, the Liberal vote, to uh, to do great in Quebec. Yeah, it's when the creditiste disappeared that the in the uh, 70s that the Liberals went from sort of winning 50-some seats in Quebec to winning 70-some seats in Quebec, right? True, but uh, the biggest, I mean, there are many, I can see many conservative problems uh, in this province. Uh, Andrew Scheer is not Stephen Harper, and he wasn't well-liked, but Stephen Harper was respected in Quebec, and Andrew Scheer is not there yet. But there is also the, um, the very militant, pro-pipeline stance that the conservatives in opposition uh, have been taking. If uh, anyone wants to come and run on a pro-pipeline override provincial powers on the environment platform, which is what it comes across as uh, when one listens to Andrew Scheer in Quebec, good luck with that. Uh, because there is not a constituency for that, nor is there a constituency for being shocked by the notion of carbon pricing. Well, Quebec was part of the cap-and-trade system that Ontario was part of. And, and it still is. It was there before Ontario, and it remains there after Ontario. Well, Ontarians weren't even aware that there was carbon pricing in Ontario under no. cap-and-trade. It's so subtle. <laughs> well, it's a bit like that here, too. But uh, with a difference, we do not have a provincial party that uh, is actually interested in making carbon pricing an issue in the sense of let's get rid of it. Right. But it's not like Quebecers are marching for carbon pricing. It's just been sort of absorbed into the system, right? I think that if uh, François Legault had believed that he could score points by uh, opposing it, he would have. And uh, the reason that uh, he isn't is that there is no appetite in Quebec for a party that uh, wants to campaign against uh, the doing whatever one has to do for climate change. So if, if no party ever since we've introduced carbon pricing in this province has tried to make it an issue. What do you what do you think the battle lines are going to be in the next federal election? What is the case for change from Trudeau? <laughs> the, Justin Trudeau's fortunate uh, in the sense that the question at this point, the ballot question in Quebec today, a year off, will be: Do you want the Conservatives back? And in a province that. Uh, 
most didn't want Stephen Harper after his first election. That's a good ballot question for the liberals. And what could the conservatives learn from last night that could make them more competitive? That the candidates matter. That they 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 that they the conservatives and opposition have a, a fairly strong team, and the MPs that they have had from Quebec are uh, are efficient in the House of Commons. But uh, they will need to be running more of these kinds of people. And possibly the sad thing for them from last night's election is that people who might have been interested in running for a federal conservative party are now going to be spoken for by this new CAQ government. And if there is free talent to be drafted, uh, it's more going to be on the other side of the ledger. For instance, the Bloc Québécois was in trouble. There are a lot of talented sovereignists who are maybe looking for a mission now uh, and who could look to Parliament Hill to, uh, if they really want to try to, to do something outside of the box that uh, the provincial election has left uh, them in. There are some elected but also defeated Quebec liberals that I think Justin Trudeau would be happy enough to have. We just have a, a finance minister who has been really good at his job uh, for Philippe Couillard, uh, who is now re-elected to opposition. One suspects Mr. Litaou would not like to spend the next four years in opposition if he had a better offer that allowed him to be on the do side of the political equation. So uh, there's, the shopping opportunities now are, are for the Bloc Québécois uh, and for the Liberals, while the, the NDP uh, and, and the Conservatives are going to find that the, whatever talent might have been available is going to be focusing its energies on Quebec City. Given the progressive elements of Legault's platform that you talked about, shouldn't the sheer conservatives look at Quebec and say, my God, there's a very limited market for <laughs> yes, pure, should, for pure conservatism <laughs> in Quebec, and maybe we need to f- move a little bit on some of these things? They, yes, they should, but they don't want to. Uh, and one of the, the, the trademarks uh, of... Uh, a progressive conservative party would be a party that acknowledges that one needs to get serious about climate change and the environment and carbon pricing. And for reasons of their own at this point, the federal conservatives seem more interested in running as as a, a branch of the Alberta Conservative Party than as a national party that is trying to make its stand larger and acknowledge some of the realities that are foremost on the minds of millennials who will, again, happen to be the largest cohort of voters in the next election. The conservatives have bet for already a decade that young people do not show up to vote. Well, this is twice in this province and in the case of Canada, in Canada, that they did show up to vote and made the difference. They gave Justin Trudeau that majority, right. uh, the millennials. And yesterday, they took a, a fringe party and brought it to 10 seats uh, and uh, as much, uh, almost as many votes and a share of the vote as the Parti Québécois, which is a well-established party. So the notion that 
the Conservatives federally will go in an election thinking that they can tough it out uh, and win without the millennials, I find that uh, very short-sighted. Well, especially if you kind of dare them with the kind of uh, climate policy that they're... Um... Uh, yes, and the, uh, we're going to remove uh, any obstacle in the way of pipelines. That's probably, uh, in Quebec at least, it is a certain recipe to give people a reason not to vote conservative, which is why at this point... The ballot box question is lining up to be, do you want the conservatives back? And that is not what you would want as a ballot uh, question if you were the conservatives. No, under no circumstances, really, would that be the right ballot question for you. So one pattern that is developing that we've seen happen over and over again in Canada is that when a party becomes the federal government, they gradually lose all the provincial governments. And uh, so, and then when... And then the yep. pattern reverses when somebody else takes power federally. Is that what we're seeing now, just the normal cycle? Or is there something different going on in what's happening in the provinces? For to me, the it's Liberal a normal cycle. I'll, I'll tell you that I find it a normal cycle in the same way that I didn't think that Ontario was about to go into a huge uh, revolution when it switched uh, to the NDP in 1990 while Brian Mulroney was in power uh, federally. It, the pattern uh, of going for one and then going for the other is a really familiar one. I don't find this one particularly different. I also have seen no serious evidence that, uh, at least here, that the populism is overtaking the political discourse and that the result speaks to that populism. Thinking not just about Quebec, but about the whole country, Justin Trudeau became the prime minister, and people really didn't know that much about him. He hadn't been a, hmm. he hadn't you know been in politics for a long time. He hadn't been a minister or anything. People judged him uh, in large measure on a very successful and very competently run campaign. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're three years into office. How is he wearing? What do you think people think about him? Well, he's wearing. Um as well as be- or better than uh, a lot of uh, third-year, first-term governments that I've covered. Uh, let me remind you where Brian Mulroney was a year before he won a majority government for the second time. In third place, maybe. Uh, yes, I think Ed Broadbent was briefly yeah, for yeah. the NDP, yeah. the prime minister over the course of a polling summer. Yeah. Uh, Jean Chrétien, after the referendum, had to and, and and Jean Chrétien was lucky that the the Conservatives were 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 separated in two parties were divided, uh, but still Jean Chrétien used uh, Mike Harris's government to good purpose in Ontario to spook uh, NDP voters into supporting the Liberals, in part because the NDP had a leader who, while competent, was certainly not in the run for power. That scenario stands to unfold again in Ontario in a year when uh, NDP voters have to consider whether they vote for an anemic party or whether they do what they think they need to do to avoid having an ally of uh, Premier Ford come to 24 Sussex uh, and to federal power. So those... uh, 
a lot of the winning conditions that others uh, used uh, are in play for now for Justin Trudeau. He he is he, no one is going to hold him in any way, shape, or form responsible for what happened to the Liberals in Quebec yesterday. Right. Uh, and and the NAFTA dairy thing that was a non-factor in the campaign, right? Well, the NAFTA dairy thing will make noise. Uh, at some point, I noticed yesterday that the the least uh, incensed <laughs> they all were was François Legault. But at the end of the day, Quebec is a free trade province, and uh, it has interests that extend beyond dairy farming. So that discussion uh, will not end. I think Mr. Legault's first alliance with the Premier Ford will be over compensation for the people in the agricultural sector who stand to be impacted by uh, this deal. But this deal is, is not a done deal, and it's not coming into effect tomorrow and possibly not uh, before the next election, depending on what happens in Congress. So it, it's not going to be a top-of-mind discussion for very long. If Trudeau is wearing well, and I agree that he is, why do you think he is? Well, he's the first mandate uh uh, Prime Minister, so that helps. The economy is not in bad shape. He has been powerfully helped by comparison to Donald Trump. Most Canadians uh, live on that score of, on the proposition that uh, quand on se compare, uh, on se désole. Quand on se, quand on se regarde, on se désole. Quand on se compare, on se console. When one looks at one in the mirror, one feels desolate. When one compares oneself, one uh, feels uh, better. Uh, and uh, the comparisons with Ford have certainly helped uh, Trudeau. They've also given him uh, and his government a focus, which was to handle the Canada-U.S. relationship. And... The the fact that he was forced to build a big tent to handle the NAFTA issue is kind of paying off today with uh, literally conservative, natural conservative and new Democrat allies giving political cover to the deal Mr. Trudeau made uh, for the prime minister. You can't buy support like that. No, that's for sure. They They really did handle that quite skillfully, I think. Yes, and it's a big file. Uh, I mean, people may not be worried about supply management when they wake up in the morning or NAFTA, but they certainly are preoccupied and have been preoccupied on an almost permanent basis by uh, Trump's impact uh, on Canada and on the world. Chantal, I want to close uh, just by talking about you for a little bit, and you probably won't be terribly comfortable about this, but I think it's important for my listeners. As as somebody that uh, has occasionally appeared on the CBC National News as a commentator, people come up to me a lot and ask me about you. That's weird. You're the only person on any of the three panels that anybody's ever wanted to talk to me about, and everybody is fascinated by you. What do you like? I want to start by telling people something they don't know, which is that you were actually born and raised in Ontario. You are an oracle to English Canadians on Quebec, but you were born and raised in Ontario. How and when did you connect with Quebec the way you have? I am... You're right. I was born and raised in Ontario. Until I was 18, we moved to, to from out, from 
well, we lived on the Getzno side of the river, although I was born on the Ottawa side, but we moved to Toronto when I was 11 years old. And until I was 18, I totally believed I was a Quebecer. Uh, until I asked my father where in Quebec I should write to get my um, ID card so I could go drink legally. And um, he answered that I should maybe just uh, head out to Queen's Park. Right. And, and that is when I discovered that I was born at Montfort Hospital. <laughs> I remember my, my answer, I looked at him and I said, I'm an Ontarian, <laughs> which uh, yes uh, was came. It was a lot cooler when I was growing up to be uh, a Quebecer than an Ontarian. Think of it: the Parti Québécois was coming of age. Uh, all these artists and singers uh, uh, were on the scene. It's you know, it's always cooler like, to be a Quebecer. That doesn't change. Shut it down. really looked cool, <laughs> and plus it was easier to drink if you were underage. So all those advantages. Uh, made it a very attractive place. My, I, I stayed on in Ontario for decades after that, and I decided to move my family to Montreal and cross that line after the uh, 1995 referendum, in large part because I was getting a lot of work doing commentary, as we're doing now, and I was being portrayed as a Quebec expert, and I felt that it uh, did not really work well to be seen as a Quebec expert having spent all of my adult life in Ontario. So I decided that I was going to go see for myself and um, speak from the basis of actual knowledge rather than... I think I was doing a good job and I wasn't saying things that were off, but Quebec always seems clearer especially on the sovereignty versus federalism debate uh, from the outside than when you're actually there uh, and suddenly you discover how soft every position is and how much room there is for conversations and debate and people actually changing their minds. So it was worth moving. I fell in love with Montreal which is fortunate when you're over 40 to fall in love with something that you will not fall out of love with. So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I have never to this day stopped feeling fortunate to live in this city. And I, I, I will admit as someone who came from Toronto that at first I had to figure out how it works, what the codes are. They are different. Uh, apparently, we're more uh, Torontonians indirect in telling people to move out of our way. Um, Quebecers just say, get out. <laughs> but uh, having figured all of that out, I, I like the anarchy. I like the notion that on Friday, when I go to a restaurant and I see people there having dessert and coffee, I know most of them are not going back to work, and I like that. <laughs> That's a great part of that culture. I'll certainly admit that. Yes. Do you think that your Ontario background has given you any different way of looking at Quebec? It always works better to be an, a bit of an outsider. It's not just uh, Ontario to Quebec. Uh, it's also, if, if you've seen other places, uh, it kind of puts things in perspective. Uh, we're all, at, because we have in this country strong provincial identities, and Quebec possibly more than any other, 
we sometimes miss the things that uh, are not very different. Sometimes there are mundane things. Quebecers think, and Montrealers in particular, that we have the city that has the worst streets and the most construction. Uh, and when you tell them everywhere you go, the first thing you hear in a taxi is, ah, construction. <laughs> they, they, uh, they, there's a tendency to think our infrastructure are falling apart, but nobody else's are, uh, and, and the list goes on. So um, I find that uh, coming from somewhere else, it uh, usually uh, helps and is, is very useful for insight to have a sense of humor. Chantal, you have developed such a trust relationship with Canadians, and I know that it's because you are never compromised, never conflicted, Always tell the truth. And I want to thank you for coming on my show to continue that. Really, it's great to know you. Well, thank you. And sadly, I will not be going to catch up on the sleep that I sorely need. And now I need to write the column. I'll, we'll all be looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. It's terrific to have Chantal Hébert here to explain to us what's going on politically in Quebec. As with everything that Chantal explains to you, it's both more interesting and more complicated than you thought. And I was glad she was here to walk us through what the implications are for both the future of Quebec and the future of the rest of the country from last night's election. We talked a lot about climate change and the role it's playing in Canadian politics right now. Our next guests on the next of the Hurley Burley are going to be the makers of a film called Anthropocene, which is also an art exhibit. Anthropocene is a stunningly visual depiction of the impact that humanity is having on the planet and its natural forces, to the point where we are now impacting the natural planet more than any natural forces are, and in a permanent way. I want to delve deeper with the makers of that film into what they saw as they went around the world and what the implications are for them and whether they think this is a sustainable path that we're on. Check in next week with us for the makers of Anthropocene. And always, please give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening if you like or don't like what you hear on the Hurly Burly. Thanks very much.